0: Well, saints, if you would open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 11, and this morning our verse is in chapter, or verse 32, Daniel eleven thirty-two. Now as we've been going through the, the book of Daniel, as we came here to chapter 11, for those of you that were here on Wednesday, for those of you that had tuned in to Wednesday, And if you're in any way confused as far as what's going on, simply just, um, we do have an insert that's on the back table that'll help guide you through that passage, um, which as you go through it, there's a lot of detail. Now, keep in mind, the whole key to chapter 11 is this, that Daniel 11 is prophecy. But when we read Daniel 11, we read it as history, And that's more powerful than you can probably even experience. That here, one day, believe it or not, that we are going to be reading the book of Revelation. And we are going to be reading it not as prophecy, but as history. And what a glorious day that that is going to be. Now, through what's going to be happening, that of course, Daniel 11, speaking prophetically, we read it as history. It talks about a time of a ruler that comes out of Alexander the Great, one of the generals, and talks about a man by the name of um, Antiochus Epiphanes. He f- senses, he figures himself as the, um, the manifestation of God. And so as, as he's there... On this scene, he does what is known as the abomination of desolation. He desecrates a temple. He stops the worship. He you know, um, basically puts up an, uh, an, an altar, um, an idol of himself or either an idol of Zeus there in, in the temple itself. Desecrates the altar with pig blood. And so we see that he, he's a type of what's going to come, the Antichrist. But on the scene... During the time of Antichus Epiphanes, there is going to be a family that's raised up, and one man, especially through that family, it's called the family of the Maccabees. And this is the Maccabean Revolt. Um, the Maccabees are incredible history of um, Scripture and what God is doing, and of course, through the, the Maccabees and through their revolt, um, eventually they, they conquer um, and kick out Antiochus Epiphanes. And then, you know, they're, they're, they come back, they seek to clean out the temple, and of course, they realize they don't have oil. It takes, you know, eight days to prepare the oil according to Scripture. And so they think, you know, this is going to be horrible because the oil is going to run out. They only have oil for a day. And this is where Hanukkah comes in because God allows that oil to go for eight days until the new oil is able to be made according to Scripture. So, the time, the event that we're seeing here actually takes place here in that intertestamental period between um, Malachi and between Matthew. And what we see is this that here in verse 32, he makes a statement um, that those who do wickedly against the covenant shall corrupt with flattery, but the people who know their God shall be strong. And carry out great exploits. This is a a great passage. It's one that, if you are those who are an underliner, a highlighter, underline that, that back part of this passage. The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. If you're not a highlighter, and underliner, become one, borrow one from a neighbor. You need to become and understand these passages that become power in your life. This is one of those verses that write it down, put it on your refrigerator, stick it in your bathroom mirror, put it in a note in your wallet or purse so that whenever you open it, you realize, yes, this is the key, that the people who know their God shall be strong. And as we, we note this, I think it's it's really recognizing um here the people who know their God. The people who know. The very first time that this word, um the, the word in know in the, the, the Hebrew, the the um the root word is yod, but the very first time that it's used is found in Genesis chapter three, verse five. And of course, you know that passage, just me saying it. This is where um, it's that knowledge that that comes through the garden, and what what the Lord does is this: in the Genesis three five, He makes this statement. For God knows, and this is this is the enemy, that you're in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil, to know experientially. To know, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, doubt, no, you can know about good and evil, and then as you experience something, you can actually know what happens. Keep in mind that there's uh, many, uh, a dad realizes a truth that you can know about your wife giving birth, but the wife says, you'll never know about giving birth. You won't know what we actually go through. So those are the things where you can know about something, or you can actually know something. And so as we go to this, where Daniel is being told that those people who know their God, one of the beautiful things, and keep in mind that we've been covering this as we've been going through chapters 10, 11, and 12. It's all one unit. It's not a a, A mixture of of multiple things. It's, It's dealing with chapter 10 being the preface. And as chapter 10 comes on the scene, what's a beautiful thing is this, that Daniel in chapter 10 verse 12 is told this. The angel comes to him and he says, do not fear Daniel from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I've come because of your words. As soon as you've come to really want to know and to understand and to experience what it is that God has, you coming in with God's will. And this is the key to power. See, so often people think that the power is, I'm going to do something, so of course God is going to give me the power to do this. The real power comes with this. And let me give you the the, the key to the entire message today, and then you can tune out for all the rest of it if you want. Because the the, the key is this, that if you align yourself to what the will of God is, that the key is I want to know your will And that's that knowledge, knowledge of his will. And when you come and you align yourself to that will, then what, you're gonna see the power of God and experience the power of God in your life. But it's not you determining what the will of God is, it's when you sought the will of God. Because God's gonna do his will and he's gonna, you know, let his power be expelled and and, and be manifested. And now when you're in that will, you're gonna experience and be a part of that power. When you're outside of that will, you're gonna be looking at other people experiencing the power. And as a Christian, if you've ever looked at other Christians and say, why is it that I'm not experiencing that kind of power in my life? Why don't I experience the peace of God in my life? Why aren't I experiencing the joy of God in my life? It's because you're pursuing your own will and you're not aligning yourself with God's will. As soon as you align yourself with God's will, that's where the, the the blessings come. That's where the peace, the power, the strength comes. There's a statement, and I it, it's it's simple. It works for children's ministry, but also works for adult to be under the spout where the blessings pour out. And there's a place where God is just just moving and and ministering. And when you're under that place, when you align yourself, say, where is it, Lord? And you find that will, and then you go to where X marks the spot, you're going to be experiencing that power. And that's the key to what we see when the people who know their God. See, there's a lot of people who know about God, and then there's those who know God, And the people who know God, what they're doing is this. They experience the peace, the power, the joy when they align themselves with what? The knowledge of his will. Not only do I know God, but I know what his will is. And so when I align myself there, this is where he's moving. When I find myself in that place, that's where the blessings come. Two passages that I want you to jot down to understand kind of where the key is to how we understand the the power, the blessing, the moving of the Spirit. The first is found in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to be reading from verses 13 to 17 as I go through this passage. And Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 begins this. In him, which is in Jesus Christ, You also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom after having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of your purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus And your love for all the saints do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation of the knowledge of him. This is incredible. As Paul is saying, the whole key to this power, the whole key to what I'm doing here in verse 13 is this. In him you trusted. You trust in Jesus Christ. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and then having believed, he says this in the end of verse 13. You were sealed. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And then it says in verse 14, who is the guarantee? What he's speaking of is this, the Holy Spirit in you is a down payment. In other words, it's the surety. I don't know if that happens so much today, but it used to happen back in my time where if you saw someone who was selling a car and you go to the person, listen, I want the car. But because we had to go to the bank in those days, you said, listen, I'm going to give you $100 now as a down payment. I'm going to go to the bank. I'm going to get the rest, the other, you know, $700, and I'm going to buy this car. Now, that's what you could do back in the time. And so here's a car. I want to buy it. But I'm giving to this person a surety. I'm giving him a guarantee that I'm going to come back and I'm going to purchase. I'm going to give him the rest of it. And that's what God does through the Holy Spirit. As soon as we believe and we put our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, what the Father does is this. He puts down a down payment. He puts the Spirit in us as a guarantee that what? That when we finally breathe our last, the guarantee is what? That we will have been fully purchased and that we'll now be with God in heaven. This is the key. This is our surety. So understand that the key to power, the key to who we are and what we want to be as Christians is not just I know of God, but it's receiving fully the finished work of God. And as you receive that finished work, you believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ. God says this, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit in you. I'm gonna place him in you as the surety, as a guarantee that I'm gonna finish the payment that I'm gonna bring you home. That's the key. Now, as he, the Holy Spirit, comes into us, as he now becomes that surety, the guarantee, verse 14 of Ephesians 1 said, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of your purchased possession. So when finally God says, you've know, you breathed your last here, now you're breathing in heaven. This is the translation that we have. We've been ushered into eternity. At that point, that's what he says this. This is the redemption of your purchased possession. The Holy Spirit comes in as the surety. But as the Holy Spirit comes in, keep in mind that what Paul desires more than anything in verse 17 is that as he prays for them, he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom. And what is the spirit of wisdom? The knowledge of him. There's nothing more powerful in a believer's life than to know Jesus Christ more intimately. It's not knowing all the things that he did, but knowing him. And I think this is the key that we have as believers when we recognize that we have a personal, intimate, experiential knowledge of God. And and with that knowledge that I'm going to commit myself to be totally involved in his will. And, and so with, with my intellect, with my emotions, my will, I surrender myself over to God. I yield myself and I align myself to determining what is your will, and I want to be a part of that will. This is the key. So... What we see is this, that Paul, as he talks about here in Ephesians 1, he talks about where the real power comes in. The power's not in us, the power's in the Spirit. We'll be seeing that in just a moment as we look at the book of Judges. But what we see is this, as Paul prays, he prays basically one thing, I want you to know him, I want you to know him, I want you to know him. Now, don't turn there, but just jot down this passage, because the very last words of Peter, we looked at, Paul let's look at Peter as well but in in second Peter chapter three verse 18 the very last um, sentence the very last um, verse in in all of Peter's epistles declare this. That he would grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. He says, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is what I want you to do. I want you to grow in the knowledge of our Lord. This is where the peace comes from. This is where the power comes from. And and I think that is what we have to realize, that it's about knowing God and then knowing his will. Because so often we determine what we want God's will to be. And when we determine, I want your will to be this, and we run to that place, and all of a sudden we're not experiencing the power, why not? Well, it's because we're not in his will, we're expecting him to do our will. Remember when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, one of the things he said was this, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will be done in heaven as I'm willing on earth. Your will be done on earth. I'm going to be aligning myself to your will. Whatever your will in heaven is, that's what I want done here on earth. Now we pray that, but rarely as Christians do we walk that. And this is where the true power comes in. Two passages just to simply jot down. Don't turn there. I already have mine marked and I'm already there. But in the book of Hosea, chapter 4, verse 6, there's a warning that says this. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, you will. I will also reject you from being a priest before me. He says, my people are being destroyed because they lack knowledge. And this is where the danger of Christians come in, that there is only a in the sense, uh, uh, a fraction of the knowledge of scripture. There's many sc- people who said, I've read the Bible. And I said, well, that, that's amazing. I said, so, you know, you know, you know there as, as you go in, into the, the scriptures and you start reading something, you say, well, let's turn to the book of Psalms. And, and so they, they literally have to go to the front of their Bible to say, where, where's Psalms? Where's Psalms? And they figure out the page where Psalms is. And then they can turn it. And you've read your Bible. And, and so it's one of those things where the people say, I, I know the word. I know the word. But they really don't know the word. And there's, there's two issues because of as one. They don't read the word for themselves, and two, as as they come into churches, churches themselves are leaving the word of God, that they're using it only as as just almost a sidebar to the message. They give you the message of of family and, and community and all these other things, but they don't give you the message of what? Of God, of sin, repentance, and redemption. And this is the word that God wants us to understand. And as we go through the Bible, as we go verse by verse, as we go chapter by chapter, as we go book by book, eventually what happens is this, that that you guys gain an understanding of the Scripture. And why is that important? Well, because if I ever get whacked out and I get into some weird stuff, you're going to know what? I need to leave this church And you should be leaving this church because I'm in error or you're going to correct me through the scripture. And by knowing the whole of the scripture, what happens is this. When when you know what's true, and I, I read the scripture and I know this is Christ, I know this is heart. When you know what's true, when someone comes in and tries to give you something false, you do what? Hey, I know this isn't real. I know that's not according to Scripture. Why? Because I know the things that are foundational of my faith, the things that are foundational as far as what Scripture teaches. So as we're doing this, we recognize here the people are simply destroyed because they have a lack of knowledge. They don't understand who God is and they, not, they don't understand his will. Now, how does that pull out in the New Testament? There's another passage where Paul was writing to the church in Rome. And he was writing to the church in Rome there in Romans chapter 1. I'm going to read a couple of verses. I'm going to start reading in verse 19. I'm going to read all the way down to verse 22. So Romans 1, 19 declares this. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. professing to be wise they became fools. Now I want to stop for just a moment and expound on what Paul here is trying to teach the church in Rome. In verse 18 what he's declaring is this for the the wrath of God or verse 19 because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. There is this Weird belief that that goes this, that that men come from the place of not knowing God to eventually knowing God. And what Paul says in Romans is exactly the opposite, that men come from a place of actually knowing God and, and innately knowing there is a God to being deceived to believe that there is no God. So you have to be taught, you have to be deceived from knowing God to not knowing God. It says in verse 19, what may be known of God is manifest in them. God has given to every man an understanding of who he is. Why? Well, the very heavens declare the glory of God. You look at the immensity of the universe and you realize, oh my goodness, how incredible the order of what is taking place. And this is what's happening nowadays is people are understanding that yes there is too much design in the human body, there's too much design in the very cells of the body, the DNA, it's all a design, the universe there's a design, ecosystems there's a design, and everything there's a design, and so they realize what? If there is a design, there has to be a designer. The more we're learning about the universe and the very core of how we're made up, the more they realize is that there is intelligent design. That's what they're calling it. Now, we, 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 call, it, we call him Jesus Christ. We know who is the creator of all things. But they're saying there is a designer because it couldn't happen by chance. It's, it's way beyond the ability to happen by random chance so what may be known of god god says it's already innately in you but what happens is this is verse after verse 20 where it says for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes are clearly seen that everything that that happens with with you know, weather and the makeup of man and our ecosystems and the universe itself, how everything else we realize and it's clearly seen that there is a designer. Now being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. That eventually God is going to reveal himself through all of nature as far as who he is and how he is. And even the reality of how he exists in this area where we call the Trinity, he exists in three persons where it says even his eternal Godhead. So through this, they are without excuse. There's not one person who isn't given innately this understanding about God. Now in verse 21, because although they knew God, And this is the key. Everyone knows God, but then they didn't glorify him as God. Now they know of a God, but they're not saying, wow, because there is a God, should I really be seeking him? And this is the question that usually, as I talk to people who are are on the fence as far as as I I know God, you know, I've, I've been to church. I went, you know, twice last year, you know, who can say that I'm not a Christian, but here's the key they may know God. And so I asked them, I says, so first of all, do you believe there is a God? And they go, well, absolutely, I believe there's a God. Then do you believe that if there's a God, he would want to reveal himself to his creation? And they ponder that. They think about it. It says, yeah, I think that he would. Then how would he reveal himself? And I'm having this discussion with this wonderful lady who's uh, uh, On the fence, I would call her a non-believer, but I'm I'm just trying to get her to reason through logically if there is a God. And she says, I do believe there's a God. I think there's one out there. Well, if he was a God, if there is a God, then how would he reveal himself? And I'm I'm in this process of trying to communicate to her that if there's a God, how would he reveal himself? Well, God says in, in his own word in Isaiah, listen, I am God, and here's how I'm gonna prove that I am God. I'm going to tell you the end from the beginning because there's no one here that can tell you the end as right now as if it's already been. In other words, like Daniel chapter 11, we're reading prophecy as if it's history. Now, when Daniel wrote it, it was prophecy. It was still hundreds of years to have to be developed. And we're reading it as history as if it's thousands of years in the past. But of course it is. One day we will read Revelation as history. I cannot wait for that moment. But at this point we see here, I'm trying to get her to understand that God is trying to reveal himself and the best way he's going to do it is what? Through his word. God is going to reveal who he is through his word, and that's what you see. God says, listen, I'm going to show you that I am, because I'm going to tell you of an event that's going to happen, and when it happens, you're going to realize, oh my goodness, God spoke of this hundreds of years, you know, in advance before it actually happened, and when it does, I'm going to realize it was God who spoke it. Now, the beautiful thing is this. In the midst of those prophecies, God reveals two things. One, his holiness, his power, his grace, and our sinfulness. Over and over in these things, and God says, listen, I can overcome your sinfulness because I have a plan. That plan is going to be a Messiah is going to come. Jesus Christ is going to come. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to die for our sins. Now, you and I read that as history, but it was spoken of as prophecy. And this is the key to scripture. If you want to grow in your faith, read everything as history. Believe it that God spoke it and it's a done deal. When you read your Bible, all the prophecy is history. You are going to find the will of God is this. We are in a line to seeking Jesus Christ what he is doing in the world, and I'm going to trust in that. Whether I understand it fully or not, I'm going to trust that Jesus Christ is still on the throne and he's moving. Now, what happens is this. Although they knew God, it declares here back in Romans 1:21, um, that they did not glorify him as God and nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts And their foolish hearts were darkened. Rather than believing, this is God, this is God, this is God who created all things, who made this world for us to enjoy, they now do what? They put it not on the creator, but they put glory to the creation. And they they begin to say it's the creation, not the creator, that gets the glory. And so they they, they worship the sun and the moon, and they worship nature, and they worship all these other things, rather than worshiping the one who did what? Who created it all. And as we see this, now what happens is is they begin to take their eyes off of the Lord, their, their, their hearts, and it declares this, their foolish hearts were darkened. Because now what happens is this. In verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools. What does it mean? Well, you guys know that Psalm 53 verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So rather than already having that innate understanding about God, they reject, they do not want to give God glory for everything that he does. They're refusing to give God glory, and so they give glory to the creation. And in that, their hearts become darker and darker. Why? Because they're pushing out the light. This is what a non-believer is. So before you consider them completely saying, wow, you you were born yes you were born in sin but you were born what with light in you but you've pushed out the light you've pushed out the light and you pushed out the light so what do we want to do as believers we want to be the light we want to be the light so as they come and they 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 see our light what they're going to realize is this I remember a time <laughs> I remember a time that light was in me be that light and make them jealous for that light this is the key So understand that as we're seeing this point here, we've already pointed out that the whole key is what knowing the very will of God, understanding that whole aspect of God. Now, we've talked about that passage in Ephesians 1 verse 13. We're talked about here, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. There's another passage a, a, a prophecy that is found in the book of Zechariah. Don't turn there, jot it down. Zechariah 4, verse 6, where he says this This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. This is one of those things. When we first started Calvary Chapel Milwaukee, we had this huge wooden banner behind me and and it said you know Zechariah 4 6 not by might nor by power but by my spirit says the Lord the whole key to understanding might and power is what it's the spirit of God it's it's aligning yourself to understand who the spirit is and be with the spirit this is the key Um, There's a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Let me read it to you. It's only a couple of verses, verses 9 through 12. But in 1 Corinthians 2, beginning in verse 9, it says this, But as it is written, I have not seen nor heard or have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. And we have received not the spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Now here's the key. And I love the heart because no one fully understands where eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor has even come into the very heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now keep in mind it's just not those who know of him and and those who you know who are acknowledge him, but those who love him. Now what does it mean to say it's, it's different to simply have knowledge of God or intimate knowledge of you know have knowledge not about god but have knowledge of him experientially is what is is when i love someone i want to hang out with them when i tell my wife i love her she knows it why not just because i say it not just because i said it once and hey you know you'll you'll you remember what i said it i, I still do but, but when I spend time, when I, when I get to know, when I communicate, when I understand what her thoughts are and what her will is, and, and we walk these things together, that's the key. And this is the heart. When, when you love God, you're, you're like, whatever you want, Lord, it's your will. I want to hold your hand and have you guide me through this life. That's what that love is. Now, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit again, we see what? It's the spirit of God who's in us that opens up the will of God through us for the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man that's in him? Unless you hang out with a man and you realize not just the things they say, but who they really are. And this is the key to know who they really, really are. Now, most of us have been alive long enough where we've had people who we call acquaintances. Why? Because we know about them. And then you have those people who are true friends. Now, there are those friends that are, 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 are like, you'd almost call them, you know, sunny day friends, not the rainy day friends. But the sunny day friends is what you know about them, and then you know more about them. And the, as <laughs> you know more about them, then they become acquaintances. They don't become friends. But there's those other friends that you have that you you love them and you know them and then you learn more about them. And then you learn more about them and it doesn't bother you and you love them even more. You love them through those areas. Now, those are the true friends, the ones that know you and still love you. That's a friend. And and it's amazing because I'm still thanking the Lord for my bride because she knows me and she still loves me. Now, you guys know a little bit about me. Some people know me more and more, and there are those people who, you know, know me and still love me. Those are the people that God put in my life like, Lord, these are amazing people. Thank you for these people who realize I am a sinner. I I, I am I am flawed. But I love you, and I am one of those that truly want to know your will and seek your will. And these are the people who pray for me to say, Lord, help Lowell to find your will. Help him to find that that which you're wanting to walk him through. That's the truest, friends. And so as we see here, he goes on to say, Verse 10 in in 1 Corinthians 2, For God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. And now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. The more you grasp the spirit, the more you understand who it is. And the spirit wants to reveal to us the very will of God. And as the spirit reveals the will of God, it may not be something that you and I would normally think of, but as you align yourself to that will, you begin to see the power of God. I want to give you just two examples, both found in the book of Judges. The first example that I want to share with you is a man by the name of Gideon, and he's found in Judges chapter 6. The second that I want to give you is a man by the name of Samson, and he's found a little further in Judges 14 and 15. But let me start in Judges chapter 6, and I want to read to you beginning in verse 11. And in Judges chapter 6, beginning in verse 11, it declares this, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat underneath the tabernacle tree, which was in Ophrah, which belongs to Joash the Abrazite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in a winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Now this is a, a, a verse that if you just read it cursory, you're like, okay, here's Gideon, he's threshing wheat in a winepress. press. Now, if you understand, there's a deeper truth to this. When you thresh wheat, you thresh thresh it on what's known as a threshing floor. What's a threshing floor? Well, a threshing floor would be this. It would be a cliff that's a level spot higher in the air so that when the wind blows and the wind blows, that as you throw up the wheat, the chaff blows away, the grain falls to the ground. That is a threshing floor. What's a wine press? A wine press is where you don't want wind. It's usually down into a cave. It's down into a valley. It's there. So when the wind blows, you don't have all these leaves and dust and dirt going into the wine that you're stamping on the grapes. So you don't want to have wind. Now understand what Gideon is doing. Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. And you're like... Oh my goodness, you know, what IQ do you have? Well, he's not doing it because he doesn't know better. He's doing it, and I want you to see this. He does it in order to hide it from the Midianites. Now, why is he trying to hide it from the Midianites? Well, one reason, he's afraid of the Midianites because the Midianites, whenever they see someone threshing wheat, what do they do? They just come and say, hey, we bring a lot of soldiers we bring uh, uh, you know, our, our weapons and we say, thank you for threshing and planting our wheat. Just give it to us now. And so he's hiding out because he's terrified. And as he's there threshing wheat in a, in a wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites, verse 12 is incredible. Once you understand verse 11, verse 12 says, The angel of the Lord who appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. So this angel calls Gideon, who's hiding out from the Midianites in this wine press, a mighty man of valor. Now, you and I would be scratching our heads to say, Well, if he was a mighty man of valor, why isn't he there on a threshing floor, open to all? But understand... Here, God sees what? Not what we see. God sees the end. And when God looks at you and he looks at me, he doesn't look at the you and me now. He looks at the you and me that's what? Already been redeemed there in heaven. Because God, time and space is nothing to him. He sees the end from the beginning. He sees the finished work. He sees us glorified in heaven. And he says, wow, this is my work. He loves his work. So as we see this, He now calls Gideon this mighty man of valor. And Gideon, in verse 13, said to him, My Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Now, God is saying this incredible thing, because keep in mind, this should be all caps when you read in verse 14. Then the Lord, L O R D, then Yahweh said to him, Go in this might of yours. Now he says, Where's God? Where's God? Where's God? And he says, Go go in this might of yours. Now notice what Gideon said. He says in verse 15, he said to my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest of Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. So he said, what can I do? You're saying, go in this might of yours. Have you not seen I'm threshing wheat in a wine press? What are you talking about? This might of mine. And he says, listen, my my clan is the weakest clan, Manasseh. I'm the, the weakest in my father's house. Out of all of them, I'm the least. And the Lord says to him, verse 16, notice this key. Verse 16, and the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Now, why is that important? Well, When you have this word one, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. The the word in the Hebrew is ikad. It's a compound unity. It's this plurality, if you will. Um, When he says the Lord your God is one, it's a compound unity. We call that now the Trinity. And as you see this Father, Son, Holy Spirit all being spoken of, all being God, now we see here that what the Lord says to Gideon when he says, how can I do this? What God says is this in in verse 16, I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one echad, as one compound unity, as one man. In other words, he's saying you and me, you and me, this compound, I will be with you. I will be there with you. And then through that as you are going to be aligning yourself to my will, you're going to be experiencing the power. I want to defeat the Midianites. So you know Gideon. He says, all right, let's do this then, Lord. And he goes and he sends out the word. And he says, all right, I'm going to gather some men. And he gathers 32,000 troops. 32,000. And it's not bad because what? He only has to go up against 135,000 Midianites. Now that's not bad. That's a one in four ratio. You know, Marines can do that in their sleep. That's not a problem. So if you have that one in four, I can handle that 32,000 against 135,000. We're good with that. But God says, wait a second. Nah, that's not going to work for me. He said, it's going to be too much. Because you might think that you had some part in this. So he says this, tell anyone who's afraid, anyone who just doesn't want to go to war, just tell them to go home. 22,000 leave. He's only left with 10,000 men. And now all of a sudden it's a 10,000 against 135,000. So you're looking at a one in 13 odds. And you're thinking, that's not bad, maybe. And you're not liking, but Gideon says, all right, that's what you want. And God says, no, no, nope, still too many. And then he says this, I want you to go and I want you to have the men have a drink. He says, and this is what you do. He says, the men that take the water and bring it up to their mouth, you put them in, in one side. And the men who actually you know, bow down and put their face in the water, those are the ones who you put in another group off to the other side. And it's interesting, I love just trying to read the commentaries. On that passage because they say God is looking for the ones who are are out there looking around and are very aware of what's going on and and they, they reach in as they're watching around and they take some water and they're drinking and these other group are the ones that are oblivious they just stick their face in the water I don't care what's going on and I find that incredible I find that interesting now these commentaries try to say that what God is doing he's taking the best of them and, and saying that those who have literally taken the water up to their mouth, that's the best. And those who are putting their face in, those are not the ones. Those aren't the ones who are aware. But I think it's something a little different. Now, this is just me and my thoughts. And don't take this as scripture. Just take it, thus saith the Lowell, not thus saith the Lord. Because my thought is this, that you have two groups of people and you have those that, that can do push-ups. And they can be putting their face down and lifting their face up, putting their face down. They're they're the muscular guys. And they're those that can't do push-ups. Those are the ones that say, I can't get my face in the water. i got to bring the water up to my face. And God says, oh, those are the ones. So you have this mindset and, and choose how you want it. But what God does is this, is through that event of drinking the water, he now separates 300 men, those that took the water and brought it to them. And now you have 1 in 450 are the odds. And God says, this is good. I can do it. I can, I can defeat 135,000 people in the Midian army with only these 300 men. Now, eventually, God shows getting what he's going to do. You get the trumpets. You get the torches. You put the torches in the earthen vessels, which is what we are. We're the light in the earthen vessels. And when we're cracked, when we're broken, when we're jarred, the light now comes out. And that's what happens. Now, before he does that, he goes to the Midian army. He kind of creeps up with his companion. And he hears this man talking about a dream in Judges chapter 7, verse 14, here, these two guys of the Midian army, the companion answered and said, this is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel, um, into his hand, God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. So he realized that here, this man is this bread rolling down into the camp and just consuming the whole camp. He says, I know what this is. This is the sword of Gideon. But I want you to realize what Gideon says. And this is where back in verse 18 now, or down to verse 18 of Judges 7. Gideon says this, When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you shall also blow the trumpet on every side of the whole camp and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. See, these guards are saying it's Gideon whom God sent. Giddy's saying, it's God and me. See, there's two ways of looking th- with things. Are are is God with you or are you with God? See, I'm gonna do this and I want God to be with me, or or what? No, God is doing this and I'm already with Him. This is the key to understanding. And so I love this heart because what they say is, God is going to be with Gideon, and Gideon is saying, listen, I'm going to be with God. This is God's work, not mine. And we see that incredible routing of the Midianite army. Now, if you turn a couple more pages over to the book of Judges, and in Judges chapter 14, Judges chapter 14, beginning in verse 4, we see here, This incredible heart of just who Samson is and and how God is going to use Samson. In Judges chapter 14, beginning in verses 4 through 6, it says this, But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him and the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, uh, though he had nothing in his hand. So I love this depiction And, and it's interesting that when you see... You know, artist depiction of Samson, you see, you know, one of the the, the people of power, the people that rip phone books that are all tough and are all, you know, who were to know what if Samson was just a tiny little guy like me, you know, and the spirit of God comes upon him, then what mighty deeds are done. It doesn't have to be this bulky, powerful man. Why? Because it's the spirit of God. And as we see here, it's the spirit of God that comes upon him, the spirit of God that enables him. In um, chapter 14 verse 19 we read again where all of a sudden the spirit of the Lord comes upon him mightily and he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men and took their apparel and gave the changes of clothing to those who would explain the riddle. So he had this riddle, eventually the Philistines kind of bar- badger his wife, saying, listen, you've got to you know, tell him what's the riddle. So he tells it to her because she's crying. She tells them they solved the riddle. So the thing is what? I've got to give you 30 changes of clothing. So what does he do? He goes and kills 30 of the Philistines. He said, here's your clothes, A little stain, but it'll work. you got changes of clothing. And, but it was, it was the Spirit of the Lord who came upon him we also see in chapter 15 verse 14 when he came to lehi the philistines came shouting against him then the spirit of the lord came mightily upon him and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire and his bonds broke loose from his hands and he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey reached out his hand and took it and killed a thousand men with it Samson killing a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. Why? Not because he was all-powerful, but let me tell you again in verse 14. The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. This was God's will. This is God's purpose. Now, eventually, what does he do? He begins to think the power is me. The power is me. The power is me. And he tells Delilah, "This, this this is where... Uh, my power come from. Eventually the hair is cut. He's now bound. And the sad thing about it is this in Judges chapter 16, verse 20. And she said, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. So he woke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the spirit of the Lord had departed from him. He didn't know the Lord had departed from him. This is probably one of the saddest scriptures that I know of here in the book of Judges. Here's Samson doing these mighty, mighty works. The Spirit comes upon him, the Spirit comes upon him, and all of a sudden he doesn't know that the Lord left him. And eventually he comes to that place and he does pray, where in verse 28 of Judges 16, as he's bound there in the pillar with all the Philistines, and he says, verse 28... Of Judges 16, and Samson called to the Lord, saying, "O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray. Just this once, O God, that I may able to, with one blow, take vengeance on the Philistines from my two eyes." And so, of course, he now pushes on the pillars, even though his hair was cut, even though his Nazareth vow was broken. And so he pushes with all of his might, and of course the temple collapses and kills all the the lords and the ladies of the Philistines. But you have to understand that it's the Spirit. It is the Spirit. And this is why I love, because that that very command that Jesus gave us in Acts 1-8, where he said what? You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you're going to be witnesses, when, when you receive the Holy Spirit and you align yourself with God's will, what you're saying is this, I'm literally becoming the power of God's light because I'm in tune with his will. There's a lot of Christians that are trying to do their own will and they're wondering, why don't I have power? Why aren't people responding? Because it's your will, not God's will. Align yourself to God's will and this is the key. And and I love the heart of it because when you align yourself to the, the very will of God and trying to align yourself with the knowledge of God, at that point, not only do you have this power with the Holy Spirit is speaking of, but you also have the peace of God. I want to read to you a passage. Don't turn there. It's found in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, where Peter is giving his greeting, but he says this, "'Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ.'" See, he says this grace and peace is going to be multiplied. Why? As you know God, as you know Jesus Christ, as you become intimately aware of who they are. So as we see this, I, I want you to realize that the more that you know God, you don't earn the blessings. You don't earn the power. You don't earn the peace. You don't earn these things. What happens is this. You just happen to be able to experience them because God says, this is where I'm flowing. If you're involved, if you're there with where I'm flowing, you get to experience me. And this is the key to what here Daniel is trying to let us know in this passage. where he talked about the Maccabeans and they knew their God. Judas Maccabee, he he knew God. He says, I know what God wants and it's not for us to be here. And so they were doing incredible exploits as they were doing this guerrilla warfare, just, just coming in and just raiding and this guerrilla warfare going against it. It wasn't done until this time. But we see this massive movement through this family of God, through the Maccabeans. And what they have come to realize is the people who know their God shall be strong. And this is where, if you've ever thought, why don't I have strength to do this? Why don't I have strength to walk that? Why do not I have this peace and the joy that I see others having? One thing is this. They've aligned themselves into the will of God, and they're rejoicing in it. They're experiencing it. And and what you need to do is realize, come back to say, Lord, and not my will, but your will be done. And this is the key. That's the one truth that Jesus shared there in the garden. So I, I know what I want. I know what he wants. Anyway, let this cup pass from me. Let, let something different occur. Let, you know, let me pass from this. He says, but not, I don't want that will. What I want more, I know what the will I want is, but what I want more than that is your glory for you to be glorified. And if you have that mindset as a Christian, if you have that mindset, that's the key. And it's always about what learning of him, learning of him, learning of him. There's, there's this beautiful passage. I want to share with you just two passages in the, the, the book of Matthew as we close here. And both are found in Matthew chapter 11. The first thing that I want to share with you is found at the end of it, where in Matthew 11, verse 29, Jesus says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, what Jesus is saying in this passage, I want you to take my yoke upon you. What does it mean? Have you ever seen these old um, pictures of old times where you see these two oxen? And what they have on each of the oxen is there's this wooden, almost an M that goes through. And that wooden M puts a, an arch of wood over each of, the arc, each of the oxen and it's called a yoke. Now what normally would happen is this, that you would train a younger oxen to a more mature oxen. And that more mature oxen has already been trained by one who was before him. And the older oxen will just pace himself, pace himself, pace himself. But the younger one will rush ahead and slow down, rush ahead and slow down. But every time he rushes ahead, the, the, the yoke pinches him. Every time he slows down, the yoke pinches him. When he stays steady to the, the lead oxen, then what happens is that there's no pain. There's no pinch. And what Jesus is saying is this, you yoke yourself to me. I'm the more mature one. And when you follow along with me, not running ahead, not dragging behind, but when you follow along, you are going to be blessed. There's not going to be the pain of running ahead. There's not going to be the pain of lagging behind. So he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, what is it that we're learning from Christ? And I love his heart. He says, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You understand that he's talking about here, I have a place of humility where I'm not trying to take vengeance upon things. I'm not trying to control things. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm not here to manifest what your will is. I'm not here to declare. I'm here to seek it. And when you reveal your will, understand that there are going to be some times that God is going to reveal his will to us corporately. As we study a message, he's going to speak forth a message, say, this is what I want you to know. But even in revealing his will corporately, sometimes he's going to in, um, reveal his will individually. In other words, I'm going to read this message and, and someone's going to get something different than the next person. You may get something different than the guy across the sanctuary. Why? Because God is speaking to you individually. But all of that is going to do what? He's going to tell every one of us corporally draw closer to Jesus Christ. And and let the spirit guide you. Let the spirit open up who the will of God and what the will of God is. This is the key. Seeking that will of God. And so we see here. Or Matthew 11, 29 says, "Take my yoke upon you, learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you're going to find what rest. You're going to realize the work isn't that hard. The work, there is a work, but it's going to be a gradual work. Keep in mind, the younger oxen realizes that the older oxen does almost all the work. He's just there to come alongside to be trained and to learn and to make sure that that he's helping the guide." And so I love the heart of this because this is where the Lord wants us to learn and to grow. The last thing is this in Matthew 11, verse 11, I want you to see here where the greatness of the power actually comes to pass. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, he says this Surely I say to you that among those born of the women, there's not risen one greater. Than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The Lord says something amazing. Now, earlier he says, There's not one born of woman who's greater than John the Baptist. There's no prophet. He's the mightiest of all the prophets, mightier than Moses, Elijah, you name it, he's greater. But he makes this statement He who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Those of us who have received the finished work of Jesus Christ and have the Holy Spirit were greater than John the Baptist. Isn't that amazing? Now, why are we greater? Are we greater because we can part water or call down fire? No, it isn't about the miracles. John did no miracles, but yet he was the greatest. He pointed people to Jesus Christ. And that's what we do as Christians. But keep in mind, as we point people to Jesus Christ, why are we greater? Acts 1.8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you're going to be witnesses to me. The Spirit is going to be the one who's going to bring light to you. And the spirit is going to be the one who brings his light to others. And when you are literally shining the spirit of God, that light to others, you become even a greater witness than John the Baptist. John just pointed what they're doing is they're actually seeing the light in you and through you. And that's where the key to the power of the spirit comes in. So John makes that statement. And I love it because he just says, listen, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And this is where it all boils down to. It's about seeing Jesus Christ, knowing Jesus Christ. Because the more you are aware of who Jesus is, the more you're aware of the heart of Jesus Christ. The more you hang out with Jesus Christ, the more you're going to do one thing. You're going to see that he is incarnate God. Remember what here, um, what, what Jesus said to Philip, you know, that passes in John chapter 14 where Jesus says, you know, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me In my father's house. There's many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you for where I am there. You'll be also, you know, where I go, you know, the way you know. And, you know, they were curious and Thomas said, we don't know the way. And he says, listen, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father but by me. But Philip said this, Lord, show us the father and it will be sufficient, Show us the Father, and, and, and it'll, it'll be sufficient for us. And Jesus said, have I not been with you so long, Philip? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm the Father. We're one. And I love the heart of this, because if you really want to understand the will of God, know this, you have as a Christian you have the ability to know the will of God. Why? Because you have this spirit of God in you as that seal, as that guarantee. Ephesians 1.13. Now, as that spirit is in you, he's gonna give you what? He's gonna give you a power to, one, be a light and to be a witness. Well, why is that so important? Why is that power? Because keep in mind, there's an enemy that wants to prevent what? Those who are lost from coming and being saved. Jesus said listen I'll leave the 99 to go after the one when you become such a light in the in the, the light of someone who's a non in the, the life of someone who's a non believer you become literally that, that very power of God they see the spirit of God the light of God in you and you stand out but as you stand out keep in mind I love what God does and as he goes through Daniel he says the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits do you realize what it is to take someone who is dead and bring them back to life? Doctors can't do it. I mean, they can do it if they're kind of dead. But, but no one like, like Jesus did it with Lazarus, four days being dead, bring him to the hospital. See, so yeah, he's been dead for four days. Take him to the emergency room. Why are you bringing a guy who's been dead for four days? And, and now a guy who's maybe just dying, yeah, bring him in. Maybe we can do something. Don't bring in a corpse that's been dead for four days. Well, understand, I was dead for years, dead in my trespasses and sin, (laughs) and people were praying for me and and being light to me, and the scripture was being open to me. My heart was being, you know, basically emptying myself and saying, I'm hungry for this, I'm hungry for this, and God says, you're hungry enough. If you want me, ask, ask, and I will come in. And I asked Christ to come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. And he came in. And then he says, and I'm going to fill you with the Spirit. And there was such a power in my life, such an, uh, where the, the word of God began to be understood. And we began to see, you know, changes in our family because we, it, it wasn't my rules anymore. It wasn't my wife's rules anymore. It wasn't our rules anymore. It was his rules. And when, when, when the, the leadership is based on God's rules, not, not our rules, their rules, it doesn't work that way. I mean, maybe you've seen politics. You've got the Democrats' rules and Republicans' rules, and you've got the joint rules that they try to make. None of it works. Why? Because it's not God's rules. When you align yourself to God's rules, there is going to be peace. Now, there's not going to be peace with the darkness, but there will be peace with God. And, and there'll be blessings from God. And I think that's the key that we look to. So as we see this, I want you to just grab a hold of this verse and realize that when it says this, that the people who know their God shall be strong. This is a promise. This is a promise that you and I can take to the bank today. We can cash it in. The check is good. When we know God, when you've received God, the spirit comes upon and you will be strong. But the the key in the strength is what? Going back and finding yourself, aligning yourself with the will of God. And that will be done through prayer, through the word, through seeking and through coming together and and saying, you know, let's look to all of us seeking the word of God because in the multitude of counsel, and I would have to say godly word counsel there's wisdom. And and as we come to that place, we will experience this incredible power, um, a strength, and carry out great exploits. We will be going right in spiritually into the enemy's camp and dragging those who are bound, chained out and into the light. What kind of exploit is there that's greater than that? To take someone who is bound by the enemy and bring them back. And so there are others, of course, as you realize the will of God that he's going to say, this is what I want you to do. If you step out in this, you're going to experience my power. You're going to experience my grace. You're going to experience my peace. It's all about what? Coming to know God. And, and I, you have to understand that it doesn't say the people are going to be strong and then they're going to know God. When you know God, when you align yourself to his will, then comes the power. Let that be our heart. Let us humble ourselves to realize we don't know what the will of God is. Only when the Spirit reveals that through himself and through this word. And then you simply have to believe it to walk it. Amen? Father, we do thank you for this word. We thank you for your heart. Lord, we've seen men do great exploits. Even in Daniel, we see great exploits. We see men who know you and are strong in you. But through that, Lord, it has been your heart, it's been your grace. Continue, Lord, to speak the volumes of your will to us that we can hear and receive and understand and grow and bless you, Lord. So continue to knit yourself and your will um, to our minds and to our hearts that we would have peace, that we would have grace, that we would have an understanding of Really, as we yoke ourselves to you, Jesus, that you are meek, you are lowly, you are gentle. And we don't have to be swinging swords. We just have to be opening up our lives to the light. And let the light shine in the darkness. The light itself expels it all by itself. It's not about us. Vengeance is yours. The power is yours. The glory is yours. So align us to your will. Align us to your will, we ask in Jesus' name. And all the saints of God said, amen.